Hi, everyone. This is Ross Payton. I just want to give everybody a little bit of news about the RPPR Patreon. We have a special offer that is a time-limited offer. Uh, and if you back the RPPR Patreon anytime between now, uh, January 20th, to February 3rd at noon Central Standard Time at the $10 level or higher, uh, you will receive RPPR B-Sides Volume 5 Gaming Gains. This volume of B-Sides is 20 episodes of actual play games that we have recorded over the last two years uh, that are, well, exclusive to this volume. Uh, They include... Zweihander, my first game that I've ever run of Zweihander. Uh, They also include games of Red Markets, Delta Green. Some of these games in development include Slingstone, Caleb's uh, game that is based on slaying superheroes. Uh, This uses the Q system, which is the same as Upwind, but for a very different kind of game. Uh, We have two sessions of that. We also have Derail, Sean's game of about breaking the fourth wall uh, in a movie where the characters are self-aware that they're in a movie and know all the tropes and cliches, and that's their only advantage. So they have to survive with that alone. Uh, We also, of course, have uh, The Lords of the Undead, a game that I ran, that I wrote. Uh, That game is also available as a PDF on the RPPR Patreon. So if you want to help uh, keep Roleplaying Public Radio going and also get a lot of incredible cool content, uh, this is uh, a great chance to jump in. Uh, Backers of the Patreon at the $10 level not only gain access to exclusive Patreon podcasts, After Hours, uh, Questing for Answers, of course, also previous podcasts. We have years of content at this point. Uh, We also have early access for all your actual play episodes uh, and uh, uh, other special rewards just for backers at the $10 level. Uh, We will have some ruined playtests over the uh, this year that are only available for $10 backers. Uh, We're going to we already have some up on the uh, Patreon. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of really cool stuff. And we uh, are, of course, have years of content. And um, thank you, of course, for supporting our PPR and the Patreon. And uh, let's get uh, to this episode. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Logan with Dallas Mega Games. Thank you for coming out to our panel. What is a mega game and how do I play one? Just real quick, I'm going to introduce you to my other panelists. Here at the end, I've got Nick Alquist. He's one of our control members that helps us run mega games. Right here next to me, I have Jason Cook. He's one of our lead control. Coming over to the left side, I've got Ryan Parker. He's another lead control. Uh, I think I might have skipped myself. Logan, I'm co-founder of Dallas Mega Games. Lee is uh, the other co-founder of Dallas Mega Games, and the final panelist down here at the end is Evan. He is one of our control for Dallas Mega Games. There was an order to that, and you just (laughs) (laughs) nailed it so far, guys. Uh, So what exactly is a mega game? Mega games are a conglomeration of board games, role-playing games, tabletop war games, and massive social interaction, um, all smashed into one uh, event. Um, uh, The scale of the event is what really makes them special and puts the the mega in the mega game. Um, Everyone, up to 40, 50, 100 people come together uh, they're divided up into teams with different individual roles and responsibilities. Um, and they each go off and play multiple interconnected games that all roll up into the same general experience. <clears throat> uh, mega games feature uh, a lot of dynamic, 
play elements, um, unique themes and rules for each game that make uh, each experience something different and special. Um, a lot of the social interaction during the game is inspired from the game mechanics. So, for instance, in the Watch the Skies game, the world is, is being invaded by aliens. And every player is either a human on the world or an alien. Each game, those alien roles are completely different. So no one knows what the aliens are here for at the start of the game. So part of the experience is discovering that and how you interact with those aliens as they're, as they're doing their thing. Lee mentioned one of the key factors there is the, uh, the scale. Of course, that for mega games, that's the magic ingredient. So the difference between your traditional role-playing games, your board games, etc., is in those situations, you generally, as the player, know everything that's going on. Unless, you know, role-playing is I have a game master or something, but the player does everything that all the players know. In a mega game, that's impossible. There's too much going on, too many different mechanics interacting with each other in different parts of the room, different parts of the venue, so you really are forced to rely on your teammates' cooperation, communication, uh, you expect them to get what they're needing to get done so that your plan works, uh, and so it's, it's just impossible to have everything handled by a person and that's really what makes this magic and, and, and unique for us. So I think we've, we've touched on it a couple of times. There's this, uh, this social aspect of the game, right? So uh, because of the scale, because of uh, the number of people that are in the room, the, the number of mechanics and things that are going on, uh, it kind of forces you into this, this kind of social experience. So it's, it's kind of neat because... Uh, generally, when people show up for a mega game, they show up with some of their friends, right? They, they buy the tickets for uh, a particular team. So, like in the Watch the Skies uh, scenario that, that Lee was just talking about, maybe you and four or five of your friends, um, you signed up for Team America. You know, you're, you're going to be the, the head of state, you're going to be the, the head of foreign affairs, you're, you're going to do all the aspects of, of what is America. Uh, and so you are after interacting with your friends that you signed up for throughout the day, but there's also these kind of little micro-communities that, that spawn in these mega-games for people that you share a role with. Uh, so say if I'm a scientist uh, for, for America, what I'm doing on a round-by-round -round basis is I'm interacting with other scientists. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm going to the, the science conference and I'm, uh, I'm discussing who's winning the Nobel Prize, I'm discussing different researches and things that are going on. And so you're, you're kind of forced into this little other smaller group of people that you're, you're interacting with and you have something in common with. Um, and so that's one of those things that makes it uh, social but not scary. So something that, that Liz kind of touched on in the video is uh, you know, social anxiety. You know, there's a lot of reasons and people smarter than me have, have probably tried to figure out why, but like, there's a lot of people uh, in the current generation that you know, are socially anxious in one way or another. And uh, while a mega game is something that's got a ton of people and you're meeting new people and you're, and you're interacting with new people, because of the framework around it and because of you know, the scenario that, that we have, it, it's not necessarily as scary, right? You're, you're interacting with you know, five or six people, seven or eight people at a time when you're doing your role. You're interacting with you know, the people on your team. All those people are interacting with other people. And you're creating this kind of uh, this shared experience, right? So uh, not to get too mushy with it, but like there's, there's something special about that kind of large-scale experience uh, that, that you're creating together. 
a lot of people that come into these games, you know, they're they're board gamers, they're gamers, they you know, they have similar hobbies, and it's kind of a lot like packs. You know, we we come here and you sit down with somebody in line and you feel like you can talk to them. You feel like, you know, you already have this this sense of uh, shared background together. You know, I'm I'm not generally someone that will just make friends wherever I go, but you know, when I'm in line here at PAX, you know, I met somebody yesterday that does like a, a Twitch stream uh, reality show. And he had, like, a winner last season. We were just kind of chatting. You know, he's also made, like, his own card game. We exchanged, like, information. It was just kind of this cool, like, normally if I'm in line at the bank, I'm not talking to anybody like that, you know. Uh, but if I'm in line at PAX, you know, I, I can do that. You know, I can, I can make that connection pretty immediately. Uh, so it's kind of one of those experiences that you go into it. You're making something new together, right? You already have that, like, oh, man, remember in the Mega Game when such and such happened or whatever. But you've also, um, you've got kind of that wealth of background uh, shared experience as well. I mean, you've got, you've got board games, you've got role-playing games, um, and, and a lot of people are just really welcoming when they come in the door. Uh, you'll see in a bunch of the pictures on the slides, I mean, people dress up, people get really into it, and they bring a lot of the, the special ingredient that is Mega Games with them, right? Like... Nothing that we're doing is really creating that atmosphere so much as it just, it's the people, right? When you've got 50 people together and it's just, you know, chaos and hectic and it's just, it's this really fun, unique experience that uh, you can meet people and, and make some cool new relationships with. So we started this whole endeavor, this mega game idea uh, from the sit down and shut up video that I'm sure a lot of you have seen online. Uh, mega games are out there online uh, for everyone to see and get excited about, but uh, once I saw that video, the very next step was I just started Googling where I work and I play one of these games. I love coming to PAX and playing uh, social games, social deduction games. I love coming here and playing Werewolf, playing Two Rooms in a Boom. I, I didn't experience that until I came to a convention. And once I experienced that, I just wanted more of it. So I went online and I discovered Mega Game. So the next step was, all right, how do I play one of these? Where can I go? And I found some groups throughout the country that were doing them, but none of them were really active. There's a few conventions where you can go. You can go to PAX Unplugged, and they have Mega Games. You can go to Gen Con, they have Mega Games. But most of the active groups are not even in the United States. They're all Europe. They're all England. It's, uh, it's extremely difficult to find a mega game to play stateside, especially in Texas. So I decided, what would it take to just run one? What would it What would it take to to put one together? And that's kind of your mo, right? Like you're the you're the guy that's like, okay, you know, I've got this this idea, this crazy idea. You know, we can get this done. We can do this. And kind of as the group, we refer to those as volcano stories, kind of uh, because of something. So. The volcano idea is, I was uh, setting up a D&D game, I was setting up a hex crawl, and I needed some ideas for what would happen during the hex, call, hex crawl. So I go to my buddy Logan, and I say, hey, um, give me a couple ideas. And he came up with a couple like small things that are appropriate for someone going into a new territory. And he was like, oh yeah, and then in this one, there's a volcano erupting. And I was like, Volcano? That so that's kind of become a term, uh, a term for crazy ideas in our group, um, and that's how the mega game started. He started showing us this video. He started trying to get us hyped up to it, 
I never watched that video. <laughs> and, uh, but his enthusiasm, we'll call it, for, uh, for, over, for the two-year process eventually wore me down, and uh, we, started, we started looking into it. And I don't regret it at all. Uh, we found a game called Aegon's Conquest um, online uh, and ran it, and it was just such a blast that we haven't stopped since. Um, so one of the things that you, we kind of look at when we're talking about, all right, we've got this, you know, this volcano idea. We've got the guy that's really excited. He wants to run this. Uh, you know, what, what makes us think that we're able to do that? Uh, so one of the things uh, that we kind of touched on is there's a lot of aspects of that, of that tabletop nature to these games. And that's big in all of our background because we were pretty much just like a D&D group. Uh, so a lot of these guys actually met in high school. Uh, I came in a little bit later in like the college years. But we actually had a uh, Scales of War D&D game that we ran for, what was it, like three years straight? Three so like we, we had a lot of people come and go during that time, and there's this like wealth of experience in that in that kind of social or that, that tabletop aspect of it, uh, where you know we've got this long-standing game. It's awesome. People are coming in, coming out. There's like the supporting cast of characters, and we just you always just kind of roll with it, and it, it led to this really cool experience. Uh, and that's just kind of like who we are as a group. We've been making those kind of experiences together for a while. Uh, but I think there is some other background, uh, even in, in tabletop, that somebody else can talk about. Right, so like Brian said, we've been playing D&D for a long time together, and when you first start D&D, whether you're in middle school or high school, there's many, many uh, panels here packs about this idea of bad D&D. You'll be in a game with a DM you don't agree with, or with a player you don't agree with, somebody who's trying to uh, not share the spotlight, but consume the spotlight or somebody that's going off on a tangent and just destroying the narrative. And so just as much as good D&D uh, helps to create and, and run these mega games, um, being able to identify those aspects that create a negative D&D experience and applying that to the mega game uh, helps because whenever you have a game with 40 or 50 or 60 people, you could have a bad seed in there that makes the game less desirable for the group as a whole, and so you need to be able to identify that and just help minimize that so that that player still has fun, but it doesn't ruin the experience for everyone else. Right, and it's um, one thing that we kind of didn't touch on was uh, the fact that this is a this is about like a six or seven hour experience, right? This isn't something like D&D where you're coming in every single week and you're, you're running the same campaign and kind of continuing off of it. This is like a one-time event. You know, you got people that are super invested for the six or seven hour period and to nip some of that in the bud to say, okay, you know, somebody hour two, they get pissed off and they're just not having a good time. Like that, that's, that's something that can take the entire experience down. So as you're going through, you kind of have to do these things to, to course correct. And, and that's what some of that bad D&D kind of taught us is like identifying where the course needs to be corrected and kind of stepping in. Um, we've also played social deduction games for many years. Um, Werewolf, Mafia, Battlestar Galactica, the board game. Like, we love the idea of these complex social interactions in our games. Um, so building that into the mega games where you have these political arguments happening over these false politics of this made-up world um, really gets people heated and involved 
and being able to channel some of that, some of that previous social deduction experience into this um, helps us kind of rein that in and stop it just short of the fist fight. And we're like, as players on like social deduction games, we're all like terrible people. Like none of us should be trusted at all. <laughs> we will backstab and do anything we can to win. Which is funny because sometimes when we're running these games, we don't necessarily see that aspect in all these people. They're all being much friendlier than we would be. And it's like, I'd break that treaty. Like, I'd, I'd attack that guy. No way. <laughs> so it's one of those things that it's, it's interesting to see uh, how different uh, you know, some of our personalities are from the people that are, that are actually coming in and playing. And, uh, so it's just kind of fun. There's kind of a tug and pull there because we have seen these people come together that don't know each other and form a tight-knit community and they get along and everybody's doing uh, Everybody's just loving the game and loving the atmosphere. And we've seen situations where, weird situations where game rules wouldn't really apply to this. You have, you'll have a game like Aeon's Conquest where you have a limited number of alliances you could have. And that's to prevent this kumbaya experience of everyone getting along. There's supposed to be conflict. But then we'll see a daisy chain where Nick is allied with Jason, so he'll give him a resource. And then Jason is allied with me, and he'll give me a resource. And then I'm allied with Brian, so I'm giving him a resource. And we're standing here as control thinking, why would they do that? Why wouldn't he just take the resources? Like, no, this is mine now. Put it in his pocket. Because that's how social deduction games, that's how Mafia works. It's, uh, it's a give and take between everybody getting along and working together and, and somebody stabbing you in the back. Yeah, that's 100% true. And for all the things that we can talk about in our experience as gamers, whether it's D&D or social games or board games, all of those things and all that, all that knowledge and experience applied to it still doesn't matter if it's not for a really good supporting cast. And so we're really fortunate, of course, in Dallas, we're a really thriving gaming community, and we've had the, the pleasure of being kind of unofficially partnered with the Dallas Gaming Village, uh, which is a huge gaming group up there run by some awesome people. We also have some unique assets at our disposal uh, where one of our co-founders uh, runs a print shop. So we get products printed at cost instead of retail. And that helps a lot because there is a fiscal piece to running these events. They're, they're not cheap, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, but um, some of the things, like I said, those that have supported us, those that have returned and continued to be consumers with us, um, that's what makes this thing real. And all the social, all the group experience and the the shared storytelling only happens if we have good venue partners, good, good vendor partners, uh, and then and great customers that are willing to you know, come in and, and really engage with what we're trying to put forward. Yeah, and the, the Dallas Gaming Village, um, when, when Logan talked about one of the first introductions we had to, to some of the large uh, social games, uh, being here uh, at, at PAX with Werewolf was actually like our first introduction to them. And like we're just we're really fortunate that they kind of like glommed on to the idea of these mega games because they basically we ran that first one and we were all a nervous wreck. We were like we have no idea how it went. We have no idea if anybody had any fun. Like I text my wife, it's done, and she's like, "How'd it go?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> but like they've continued to give us uh, great feedback. They've continued to be involved and say, "Hey, you know, we'll we'll come play in as many of these as you guys run." Uh, and, and continue to be great partners to figure out, um, you know, what what is it that's successful, what's not successful, what we can improve on. So it's been really cool to to, to be partnered with them, especially because like I've um, 
and I think it was the same way. I, I've never played in a mega game. Like, we've run mega games, and all of this started because Logan wanted to play in one, and we still have never played in one. Uh, so uh, it, it's kind of like, I hope that everybody's having a good time, because I, I don't know what it's like. I, I think, actually, Cook actually played in one of ours that we were Nick and, oh, Nick yeah, and Evan yeah. have played. Okay, uh, well, I'm shortchanging everybody. It's a small personal goal of mine to actually never play in one now, just on principle. Um, so there, there are some, there's some difficulty in presenting uh, a game of this size. Um, it takes a lot of time to run the game. It takes a lot of time to plan the game. Um, when you're talking about getting 30, 40, 70, 100 people in a room to play these games, you want to make sure that you are prepared enough to for them to have fun um <clears throat> so running the games um take between to, for us it takes between eight and nine hours on the day of um for everyone involved it's six um we've got a we've got real jobs we've got full-time full-time jobs we've got a bunch of children logan's got like 17 um <laughs> really it, it should be like 7.5 at this point <laughs> Because Logan's wife is, like, super pregnant at this point. Like, she was having contractions last night. He didn't even know if he was going to come because their fourth child is on the way now. So, like, I, I've got two kids. Jason's got one. Uh, Evan's got one. We've all got wives. We've all got those full-time jobs. But, you know, it's, it's just something that we've, we've really enjoyed. And if it wasn't for that, like, that first experience, getting that good feedback, I think we all would absolutely quit. It would have just been like, all right, well, that was cool, whatever. But, you know, we've, we've continued on just because of how much fun it's been to be a part of it. They're also a bit of a passion project. They don't make – we charge for tickets. Uh, we, we charge people to come and play. They don't make a lot of money, though. Um, our, the, the assets we print and create, um, we've got, you know, massive six-foot-long six boards. Um, we've got 3D-printed miniatures. We've got, you know, custom art. We've got a lot of stuff going into it. So it's – it's a little bit difficult. Oh, and then the venue. We have to rent a venue, and that's, uh, that's a little rough sometimes. But it's a lot of fun, and it, it's worth it. Um, then the leading up, to, leading up to the day of, there's a lot of moving pieces um, that a lot of us deal with. Um, Logan does a lot of our production work. Right, exactly. Jason alluded to this earlier. I, I help run a print shop. So the, the big thing about mega games is gaming's become so popular now, you can go to Target and get, and get Werewolf. You can go to you know, Amazon and get two rooms in a room. You can pick up a game, read the rule book, you're ready to go. Mega games aren't to that point yet. And so we buy licenses from companies in Europe and it comes with a disorganized 200-page PDF. Here's, here's, here's your game. And so we have to take that and, um, and figure out how to actually run the game. And you don't think about all the components that go into a good board game. The board, all the miniatures, you know, if it's, if it's got the trays to hold everything, all of that. I did not realize how much work went into a $50 board game until I had to make a mega game and the components just take an extreme amount of time. And there are other components too. Like we, we try to make everything as reusable as possible. We try to we, we try to make sure that we're we're being frugal wherever we can. But it always kind of like sometimes you think like it took so much effort to create this little deck of cards, and people look at it and they're like, cool, whatever, and they just like throw it away. Like that's. 
that little moment in their life is gone now. It'll never be important again. And you're looking at it like, no, <laughs> we had to like resize that. And it was like a vector graphic that went into it and all this other nonsense. So uh, that, that's one of the kind of the challenges is like you, you really, you put a lot of work into some of these things and hopefully it like lands and it, it makes it part of the overall experience, but nobody's going to write on the feedback. It's like, yeah, that card was really cool looking. You know? like, yeah. So we there's, just, we, we hope that all of the things that we're working on are the right things to work on. And then day of the game, there's a little bit of babysitting that happens. Um, if we see a team that's not having fun because they're just losing, we feel the need to step in and at, at not make them win, but make sure they, they can have fun, make sure they can go home and tell a good story um, because it's, it's not fun to lose a seven-hour board game. <laughs> um, and so we want to make sure that they enjoy the experience and that victory is maybe telling a cool story later. Um, Thing that I was going to say was talking about the components that Brian was talking about. We are really fortunate to have a graphic artist at our disposal, and one of there's a struggle always because I have a really strong desire for tactile quality. So when we're looking at components for stuff, stuff that could be done with paper, I'm like, oh, but if we only spend sixty dollars more, we can do this. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't have money. So it's it's always this give and take of that quality piece and the again the tactile. Uh, just joy of holding a quality component. But um, one of the best compliments that I think we've gotten was our last game, our graphic artist designed custom artwork for the alien teams, for the two alien species. And we got so much praise about the artwork and how creative it was, how beautiful they were. And uh, even though I had nothing to do with creating it, I was really proud uh, of our company and, and of course the artist who's here with us, Joey, uh, is in the back of the room. but. Um, but it just that's that's that comes back to the passion piece of this. Like it, it's such a small thing, and it's one of those that hit right. You spend some time on it, you spend some effort on it, um, spend resources on it, and when it lands, it's like oh, that's what it was all for. That's why we do it. It's it's really hard not to be needy in some of those cases because like I, when we work on Watch the Skies with this alien, you know, first contact scenario. Uh, if you've run it once, like, okay, well, if we're going to run this again and some of the same people are playing it, it's got to be pretty significantly different, right? We can't have the same group of aliens coming back and they're played by a different team of people, but it's basically the same thing again. So uh, we, one of the challenges is going in and uh, revamping the experience uh, between two games. And so, you know, me and Lee, a lot of times will actually, uh, we'll work together on like backstory and we'll do all these like, you know, press articles and all this like background flavor to the game. And then it's like, I want someone to be like, oh man, I read that, it was super cool. But like, you know, that's just not something that, that people generally do. It's not like, oh, you know, that was that was awesome, that, that reading that I had to do before I came and played your seven hour board game. Like, nobody's doing that. But you really, like, in your mind, you really selfishly want that to happen. But, you know, I'll keep doing it. It's fine. We see a lot of that in commercial board games as well. You'll buy the board game, you'll open up your rule book, and it's like, oh, well, that's not rules, and you turn the page. And somebody spends a lot of time working on this world building that maybe some, a diehard fan might care about later on, but they want to get to the, the meat and potatoes of the game. So we have done relatively well so far. Um, despite all of that, um, we and, and our ourselves. personalities, <laughs> in spite of those two very difficult things, um, we've successfully run six mega games since we started in October. 
Um, we've had that's over two hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're really we're slamming it, guys. Um, we've we've gone through over two hundred tickets. That probably works out to well over a hundred individual unique players uh, that have come through. Um, our largest event our, was our Watch the Skies event, and it was uh, 55 people, um, which was uh, tremendous and only made us want more. Every game we've run, we've put more people in it. Um, and our goal is to keep doing that until we run out of people. Um, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people, though, so, you know, looking forward to that. Um, we've expanded our library. We started with uh, Aegon's Conquest, which is which was free online. We've got uh, Watch the Skies, and then we've got a game called Den of Wolves that we haven't run yet that's uh, legally distinct from Battlestar Galactica, according to the people we licensed it from. <laughs> I think that your, your argument is weakened by the air quotes. Maybe next time just kind of leave that the, out. The air quotes were in the license agreement. <laughs> 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 All right, so um, how do I play a mega game? So that's one of the things that we kind of ran into when we were we were coming into it. Uh, you know, we were sold on the idea, but now how do I actually find it? So some of the resources that uh, that we found, uh, there's a, a mega game coalition. They're actually really big and uh, in, in do a lot of participation in like Gen Con and stuff. So if you if you see mega games run at Gen Con, a lot of times they're affiliated in some way with the, the Mega Game Coalition. Uh, so that was a, a good resource to kind of look and see like a compilation of people there that are doing these things. Uh, so that was uh, that's a good resource. Another one is obviously you know our website. If you want, if you're interested, uh, you can come to Dallas. Uh, we've got we've got games and upcoming events. Um, We've got a Discord server uh, that's that's pretty active at this point. We we post any kind of announcements. We have uh, player interaction. Sometimes ahead of the game, we'll we'll create you know different abilities for people to to contact the people that they're going to be in the game with in case they don't know each other. Uh, and also the Giphy function is super sweet. So uh, yeah, our next game is up on uh, February 29th. It's another of the uh, Aegon's Conquest. We've got a couple of people that have already signed up. Thank you. Uh, so that should be fun, and Aegon's is one of those that's uh, very much like a military strategy set in like the, the Game of Thrones kind of setting. Uh, so Don't blame us for season 8. So that's the, the next one we have coming up. Yeah, and then so in addition to what's on the immediate docket, we, we certainly are looking forward. Uh, we're far He's enough in now, we've gotten used to preparing him. for these things, so we, we have the ability now to start dedicating some effort into long-term plans. And so among those things, again, as they've said, we have three games that we already, that we already have in, in, the, in the pipe that we've run a couple of them. We're about to run uh, that Den of Wolves as well. That'll be the third unique game that we run. Uh, we're looking at purchasing other games that are already built. We're also starting to explore the idea of creating our own. Because again, most of the licensing and the games that are being produced are being done in the UK, England, other uh, parts of Europe. So, um, so we're rather than paying for licensing from all those, we, we've started to explore the idea of creating our own, licensing them here, and going that route. Um, among those things, we've got some genres we're already interested in, but we also take feedback from our players every game and find out what other type of game, what other theme would interest you, and using that, we're driving some energy towards those topics, and from those people, we've gotten the idea of pirates, yeah, right? uh, zombies, uh, 
and then historical games, which we don't have a good sound for. So, so uh, but anyway, these are the things that are in the pipe. Uh, we're really excited about the possibility of those things. Um, obviously, it's challenging. Running this stuff is difficult. It takes time and preparation, but it's very satisfying at the events. I think we all walk away every time thinking, that went better than expected. <laughs> so, uh, and the feedback we've gotten has, has been consistent there. Um, we also have the goal to just be the reliable, consistent mega game company in you know the Dallas area, of course, but we attract people from hours around. We've had people we have no connection with at all who have found us and traveled up to four hours, I think, to come to our game before. Uh, so that was a shock to us. <laughs> but um, so looking to be consistent, be reliable, so that others who get the itch like Logan did don't find out. Hey, there's no way for me to play this without flying to Europe. And so, oh no, us, we got you covered. And uh, and then maybe even branching out to help support other groups that want to get started in areas far enough away from us. Not to And well, one of the things uh, when it comes to making our own games, you know, obviously we've we've run a few of them at this point. We've got three different um, um, genres that we've kind of branched into. Uh, Making our own games is something we're interested in, but it's obviously very challenging. It's its, its own, you know, unique, you know, thing that we, we might be pursuing. Uh, and one of those challenges is just like our, our personalities. Like a, a lot of times our collaborative process is usually like, hey, I've got this idea for this thing. And then like immediately four other people are like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> like the volcano idea, right? Maybe a perfectly viable idea to Logan, but no, that's stupid. Absolutely not. <laughs> You gotta survive the content. Right. right. So everything that we, we make has been has been passed through naysaying at every turn. So I don't know if that improves it or if it just makes us bitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me bitter, but <laughs> so as far as um, the other things that we're looking at doing, obviously expanding our single game headcount. Um, there is kind of a, a concept of collaboration with other people that are doing mega games. I think um, one of the cool things that happened recently was somebody reached out to Logan uh, that was interested in running uh, mega games from Brazil. Did you want to talk about that at all? Sure, yeah. Um, because mega games are almost exclusively run in the UK right now, I was contacted by a gentleman from Brazil, and he desperately wanted to run Watch the Skies. He saw the video everyone's seeing online, he wanted to run Watch the Skies. So he went to purchase the license to watch the skies. It's a very reasonable, like 50 pounds, something like that. But when translated to Brazilian currency, that the Brazilian dollar, whatever, it's like two months rent. So it wasn't possible for him to run that game in Brazil. But he, he did learn about Aegon's Conquest, which was free, so he downloaded it. And he reached out to me primarily because he was translating everything to Portuguese to then run it in this country. And the reason he reached out to me is an issue that we've run into Luckily, there wasn't a, a language barrier, but we've run into, you get these 200-page PDFs that are all out of order, and the rules don't always make sense. So you have to kind of run it through the gauntlet that Brian was just talking about. Okay, these, these two rules as written do not they clash, so how do, we, how do we change this to make it actually viable in a game? And that's a difficult enough process sometimes, but when you're also working with a language barrier, it becomes extremely difficult. And because there's very few groups out there, he happened to find us on Facebook, and I was able to kind of walk him through the nitty-gritty of some of the more complex clashing rules so that he could translate them and run them in, in his country. Alright, so now we're gonna, now we're gonna, we're, we're gonna put a game portion of this in. You guys can either ask us some questions, and we'll answer them, or you're gonna have to hear us rant about mega games for another like 
15, 20 minutes. We've got a bunch of stories we could tell, but if you guys have any questions, we'd love to, we'd love to hear them and uh, see if we can help you out with some answers. Uh, there's a mic here. Stand up. Yeah, if form a line if you want. If not, I've got, I've got a list. We've also got water in the center. We can start spraying. <laughs> <laughs> we gave you a water gun. I was going to say, I, I did not receive one of the water guns. But we're going to start with you. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so, I'm one of the people who's going to be at your annual talk last week, February 28th. Yay! Um, and, uh, so, I'm actually signed up to be the lady of House Martell. So, one thing that I'm kind of nervous about, I guess, is um, you had mentioned like you get into like these political arguments. Like, um, has have you ever had a situation where it gets like not violent, but like kind of like nasty, petty, and if so, like how do you mitigate that, or how would you, I guess, how would you suggest, like... So, I'm a really big guy, and usually in charge of the Lords, it hasn't come up. <laughs> um, that said, it is something we watch out for. We, if someone's getting angry, we try to take them aside, find out why they're angry, and solve it. Um, if they're just being an asshole... It hadn't come up yet, but we're prepared to deal with it. Um, it's it's not something it's not something I would be overly worried about. Just on a you coming to our next game level. Yeah, I mean, uh, basically all the time the roles end up being like friends by the end of it. So even if they've been attacking each other and you know betraying each other, like we've we've always seen like the lords will like huddle up at the end of the game and be like, oh man, that was awesome. This this that so. Uh, so far, it really hasn't been an issue, and I, I'm just not sure if, like, uh, if that personality type, if those people, um, you know, do, um, if they do come, then we'll we'll just try to address it with with large people or with uh, the, the interventionism. The individual role tables usually become better friends than the people they brought with them yeah. during the course of the game. Like, you interact with them more. Uh, tribalism is the greatest enemy of tribalism. It's some, <laughs> and and yeah, it's. So it, it usually works out really well. Thanks. The other thing you also see, just real quick, is I've never had a heated argument with anyone here at PAX. Like, you're getting a group of gamers together, and it's a much smaller scale than a convention like this, but everyone has just always been super friendly. I don't see us ever having an issue like that, but we have talked about it in depth. So if something yep. were to come up, we'd address it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. And I just want to point out that, and I won't get to your I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point out the closest we've really ever come to that is our recent watch disguise and one of the countries was just determined to take a particular oh, yeah. route which created a lot of tension among the other countries and i think nick has a good story about that so well let's let's do okay go ahead it's fine. <laughs> okay so in egg on the conquest the military situation is relatively symmetrical it's relatively i told them we wouldn't do this in watch disguise is not the case america is a war beast america starts out with five nuclear missiles most everyone else has two, three, maybe one. So America comes to us at the start of the game and says we want to enter the game in DEFCON 1. Now watch this guy's game of alien horror and fear and uncertainty. And so if anyone's just at DEFCON 1, not even if they didn't want to this, just being at DEFCON 1, it accelerates what's called the terror track. If the terror track gets too high, all the humans just lose. There's, there's a lot of variable game conditions, like every country has their own kind of objectives, but nobody wants the terror track to go high to maybe the aliens. 
So American comes to us and like we're going to DEFCON one turn one. It's like okay, that's going to set the world on fire. But you can do that. And so America's at DEFCON one turn one and turn two. And so we're looking at the other players and we're like, are you are you guys going to do about this? And they're all very focused on the aliens with good reason. But America's still at DEFCON one and it's still accelerating the terror track and we're just kind of watching that. And so it gets to near the end of the game, and America has brought the world to the brink of panic, and no one's done anything to America. Not so much as saying, hey, would you consider going out of DEFCON 1? Like, we've never heard any of those conversations. So, out of 300 points on the terror track, America was single-handedly responsible for 70 of them, and it ends with America firing all of its nukes at an interplanar gateway that Russia had built in order to prevent the Russians from leaving the inevitable panic of the world. <laughs> Rocks fell, everyone died. <laughs> flew, everyone dies. <laughs> no. so, yeah. Good. Uh, oh, yeah, um, my question was: Has there ever been like a serious exploit you've had to deal with during uh, the course of the game, and if so, how did you correct for it? Oh, it, it's nothing but exploits. <laughs> it's it's nothing but exploits. It's um, the the players are social engineering us as much as each other. Um, I can't even think of a specific one because I mean it's basically a game of D and D, right? So someone comes up to us and asks, "Oh, you know what? I can't think of one." Someone comes to us, hey, can we do this? And our scientists did that uh, in Watch the Skies. They said, hey, can we just build a giant spaceship and leave the planet? Uh, sure, it's going to be really hard. We but gave them a... Just the scientists, no one else. Yeah, the <laughs> head of state, the... No, no one knew about it but the eight scientists. We were like, sure, we gave them an impossible task, and they did it, <laughs> and they left. <laughs> and when they left, we informed the rest of the world... The scientists are gone. Good luck! So, another situation where people tried to game the system and it worked, it worked against their, their idea. We've seen an Aegon's Conquest where they were trying to game the system by not allowing negative points to rack up. They were, it, was, it was a group of power gamers, and they were just really rules as written. They thought they had a strategy in play to where negative points could not hit their team at all. And then after about three rounds in, they found out that that was working, but it was also crippling their ability to succeed in the game. And so they, they dug themselves into a hole that was almost impossible to get out of. And that was a situation where we had to step in. And like we mentioned earlier, we don't want to give them any sort of advantage that's going to propel them to the lead, but we also don't want them to be playing the seven-hour game where they just have no chance of even being competitive. So we've had to step in in situations more on that side than on the they're breaking the game in a positive manner. Good. So kind of going off of that, when you have a team that is uh, falling far behind, do the games provide a bounce back mechanic within the game rules itself, or is that something that you guys as control kind of have to come up with off the cuff to balance them back into the game? So that's that's pretty interesting because we've, in our different scenarios we've run thus far, there's kind of different uh, win conditions, I guess. Uh, in Aegons, it's very much more like a, a more traditional board game where there's like victory points you're counting up at the end. 
um, in Watch the Skies, it's it's kind of like a narrative. Uh, basically, you're kind of you're you're trying to accomplish like a set of hidden goals for your country. Uh, but really, like everybody can c- accomplish their hidden goals. It's not like they're necessarily directly competitive. Like if I get mine, they didn't get theirs. Uh, so sometimes it's just you're you're not in that situation because you're not like you're not against uh, a number or something. Uh, but in Aegon's, uh, you know, we will have to to sometimes um, get a little bit creative without I, railroading. I have occasionally walked up to a player in Aegon's and handed them a magic sword and said, <laughs> "Here, go go fight with this." Like, and that's. Helps them in combat and as a victory point at the end of the game. It's we try to keep people happy and in the game, but it, it's mostly on control and not a mechanic of the game. Well, the only other mechanic of the game would be a social one. Like it, we've seen this a lot in Aegon's. It's lunchtime. Everybody's been playing for three hours. <laughs> the Targaryens are in the lead by a point or two. Everyone goes to lunch and comes up with these plans on how they're just going to decimate. Targaryens. <laughs> Individually. Each separate team. <laughs> they come back, they destroy the Targaryens, but because there's so much going on in the mega game, uh, it takes a while for information to get back to like the heads of state. So the Targaryens have gone from first place to second place. Yeah. People, the people still think they're in the lead to, to third place, but people still think they're in the lead to fourth place, and they're just getting pounded and pounded. We actually yep. have Targaryen Lord. That guy right there. <laughs> that happened to him. They, they end the game just in last place because at lunchtime they are up one or two points. So there's the bounce back is very much player control. To, to be quite fair, they had won the prior game, and they came back as the same country with the same people. So there was a reputation to take as well. But yes, that is true. Thanks. Next. So y'all are performing this as a commercial endeavor, but what are the maximum and minimums for making this kind of scenario work? You know, at what point do you oversaturate decision making? At what point do you not have enough people to fill the roles that are required? So the minimum we have run is about twenty-five for our first game. It did not feel good. Um, the teams were not full. There was a country left out. Um, 30 seems to be like where the magic starts. Um, I don't know that there's a cap. I've heard of a 300 person watch the skies. That sounds amazing, and we want to do it. <laughs> um, In a terrible, terrible, like masochistic period. No, it's, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> going, going to what we said, the, the 25 player game that, that felt terrible to us, our feedback in the game, the players loved it. So, no, yeah, that's fair. I think we're our own harshest critics, but um, I don't know what that bottom is, but I really feel like 30 is probably a magic number. You need the game to be large enough and chaotic enough that you just can't process all the information. You have to rely on your team. One thing we've learned is people need to be a little frustrated and a little confused during the game, or else someone can game the system, because the games are very simple. So... The more people, the more frustrated and confused you are in a good way. And it just, yeah, it, it works best that way. We had a guy come in who had studied all of the math for one of the games. He's like, oh, we just need to do this, 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 this. And he was absolutely right, except that I overheard that conversation. So, you know, whoops. 
<laughs> and once you jump out ahead, but yeah, that's that's uh, a really interesting question because I also think that um, it it changes with the group of people that you have sometimes. Like so, a lot of the, the, what we've talked about, what what is a mega game? This is social aspect. This you know these these things that don't necessarily fall within the the written rules. Uh, and, and if it's a large enough group of people to make that that experience, uh, then I think you're probably good to go. So, I mean, it's like a party game. Like if you're playing two rooms in a room with um, you know seven people or something, it's not quite as fun as like thirteen. So it's just you know finding that own sweet spot for every group. You did ask about the commercial aspect of it, and I think there's a financial piece that, that, that's part of that. That although we ran it at twenty five and the players had a good time, we couldn't continue running them at 25, it's not right. viable. So there, you do have to make sure you're aware of that piece if you're thinking about organizing. Yeah. Right, as we've talked to other mega game groups around the country, um, the overwhelming majority of the groups, it's, it's a passion project. You're gonna lose money running these games. It's, it's just for the experience. Um, we're currently in the black, but like just barely, and it's because we can do a lot of the components at cost and we just pinch every penny we can. To run these games, it's a, it's a passion project. Thanks. Thanks. Go ahead. Uh, uh, quick question, uh, well, two actually. Uh, one is, uh, I'm a dungeon master for a small little uh, group of D&D players, and a problem that I've run into multiple times is someone has to leave, or someone, like a couple people need to leave, like 30 minutes or 15 minutes into the session. What do I do then? So that's, we don't run into that as often. We can give you some advice on it, but you'll find people leave a lot less when they pay $30. <laughs> Charge your players money. <laughs> Simple. Simple. Um, you've really, that, Depends on the group, though, right? Um, you can either delegate the the actions that that person had, or it, I mean, it's it's a conversation you have to have with the people that are there. Um, in a mega game scenario, it's a lot harder to pull everyone. Um, we do have contingency plans for missing a role uh, on a team, um, but generally, we'll try to fill the spot. Um, in a D and D group, it's not as easy, obviously. Um, and puppeting people's characters is not great. <laughs> what was your other question? Um, uh, well, with my group specifically, I have two completely different kinds of people. I have one group of people who constantly want to role play. They're really into their characters and they really enjoy playing as their characters. And I have one group who whose characters are just numbers. They're just roles, numbers. How do I find that balance between role play and numbers? Bring them to one of our games. So you gotta talk to them. You just have to have open, honest, adult conversation. This is the worst thing about D and D is people refuse to have open, adult, honest conversations, and that's just where you have to start with it. You know, uh, session zero is a thing. Uh, talk to them about it. Uh, as far as the mega games go, we do we do like. We have a role for the guy that wants to role play. We have a guy that for the we have a role for the guy that wants to play Risk, right? Everyone can have their balance in the game. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. Um, so uh, I've never played a game, but I guess, and maybe this question is silly, but um, are there any roles or factions that you specifically like would recommend for someone showing up like alone versus roles or factions that like work really better, uh, that work better with people, you know, buy blocks of tickets who know each other? Or are there any kind of like specific standout roles of the three games that you run that are like 
very much for a very certain type of player that you know you can care to share? Um, yeah. So first off, I would suggest contacting whoever's running it and say, "Hey, I'm alone. Match me," sure. um, because they probably will be able to. Um, coming alone is not a problem. The game is meant to put random people together and make it succeed. Um, as far as uh, like. As far as the mechanics of the roles, yeah, like the, like I was saying, the knight in Aegon's Conquest is basically just playing Risk all day. Um, and the lord is just standing in a circle arguing with people. So there, it, it runs the spectrum, right? And I, I had to run a few games, I had a chance to play one, and we had enough control members that had the opportunity, and I didn't have an organized team to join. I, I was thrown on to a team that needed somebody. I didn't, hadn't met any of the people on my team before the game started. But I found that uh, just having, even in the pregame, because we open the doors just before the game starts, so the teams, even if they've never talked before, have a chance to talk before the game gets going. And having that conversation of, here's the type of game that I like, or here's, you know, we give them a, a role sheet uh, for each role that kind of describes what it is and what it can do, and having that out and just saying, okay, what do these looks appealing to you? In my team, it was a husband and wife that had played some different types of games, but they'd never done anything on this scale. And so I basically just took it to them, read these descriptions, what sounds like a thing that would be fun for you. And for each one, just kind of lining it up as well as we could. In our case, it worked out really beautifully. In a case where you have multiple personalities that want the same job, again, it just comes back to the adult conversations and you know, compromising or finding something that, that, where you can find a secondary piece that's fun for you. As far as being a new player, you'll be in good company. Most of the people that we, that we have at a mega game probably have never played that particular scenario before. So it's not like you're going to be running in and everybody knows the rules and they're all speaking this different language. Yeah. Like there's, there's very much it's a it's a learning process at the beginning of every game and and we we kind of force that in some scenarios. Like a lot of times we don't send out like a rule book or anything. We want the the lead up and the short time before to be kind of this like okay, well let's decide, let's make it part of that you know that that challenge. Yeah, that helps build the energy for the session. Yep. Thanks. Yeah, uh, the. The different rules have different uh, mechanical responsibilities. Uh, again, going back to like, lots of people who are coming to these are already gamers of sorts. Lots of people kind of understand and are comfortable with like the kind of things you're doing. So you might end up with, in an Aegon's Conquest game, a maester who is very tactically acute, who is like giving instructions to the knight as he's like walking past the table. It's like, all right, uh, maybe this, 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 as he's going up to the citadel. And meanwhile, the knight is just like, yeah, I'm just here to help. Is just you know following all the instructions he's been giving. He's having a great time. Um, so there's the mechanics of the role, but then there's also just people kind of finding their equilibriums. Thank you. Next. Hey guys. First of all, great job. Really impressed with you and what you guys are doing. Um, I work with these two guys, Lee and Brian. Um, and Lee didn't provide me with a question, so I'm just going to ask my own. That, that's fair. <laughs> so I'm going to ask kind of a dad question. So I've got two kids. It sounds like Logan's got a bunch of kids. Um, this is something that now they've heard about it. It'd be sweet if I could maybe you know, take my son who's here, Jackson, Brent, 13, and I have a daughter who's 16. Uh, this seemed like it'd be really cool to do as like a family. So you guys have anybody that does that? If so, kind of what's the dynamic of that? We do have somebody that does that. Uh, one of our longtime friends, CW, he came to our first game. He loved it. He brought his friend. Came to our second game, loved it, brought several friends, and then he decided to bring his two sons. And they were both teenagers. And it was, as a dad, it was awesome watching these two brothers try to work together <laughs> towards a goal. 
Um, I would say the games that we create don't necessarily have a rating, um, but the culture, you know, the people that you invite is going to influence that rating. So we do, um, depending on the scenario we're running, there's some vulgar language. Um, there might be some minor adult themes. Um, so it's really just what you're comfortable exposing your children to. Uh, my oldest is six, so I told my wife the other day, no, he can't come to a <laughs> uh, But I think it's a great thing to, to, I think it's a great thing to do in a company or as a family or just any, any kind of unit like that to see how they work together towards a collective goal. And an all ages thing is something I haven't considered until right at this very instant, but. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but that sounds like something we could do. And the last point is, uh, let's get a mega game in pack. That's it's on the it's it's on our idea board. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. One quick point: it might be like a, an Xbox, like you know, online content might be variable yeah. rating. So just keep aware of that if you do bring your kids. All right, go ahead. Uh, and, and my question is, it's pretty simple. What is the what is the build up lead up time? to create like the inception of the idea to you run that first game, how much preparation time do you really need? This year we're running a game every other month. Um, the game, we start working on a game two and a half to three months before we put it on. So you're like selling tickets yep. three months beforehand? Yep. Okay. Yeah, there's tickets on sale for the February 29th game right now. As soon as those sell out, I'll probably put up tickets for the um, April game. Den of Wolves, woo! Um, all right, we've got we're run, we're about out of time, guys. Um, we've had our social media up here for a while now. Please follow it if you want to. We've got some lanyards, we've got some uh, business cards with a discount code on it. If you're interested, come grab them from us. Um, we're going to be at Tabletop all day. If you have any more questions, feel free to stop by and hang out. Thanks a lot, y'all. Thanks yeah, for coming. Thanks so much. Thank you.